Okay, so we're going to continue here with the sacraments. And two sacraments this evening, the sacrament of anointing of the sick and the sacrament of penance. Um, Penance is better known as confession or reconciliation. Penance is actually the name of the sacrament. Confession is what you do. Reconciliation is what happens. But colloquially, everybody says confession. Okay, so these are the sacraments of healing this evening. And the first one that I'm going to go over is the one that everyone routinely forgets. If I ask someone to name the seven sacraments, they always leave this one out, anointing of the sick. Okay? Uh, mistakenly, people think that it's called last rites. I just went to give anointing of the sick today to a man uh, who's dying, the exact same thing yesterday to a woman who's dying, and said, I'm sure I'm glad you got out here for last rites. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it has not ever been called last rites. Um, I, I think that's just a layman's term that, that somehow got popularized. Uh, I, what, what would the rites be if there were such a thing as last rites? The rites would be confession. The rites would be Eucharist. The rites would be anointing of the sick. Combine them all together with some prayers. And I guess if the last time you ever received it, we can call them last rites. But I do believe that's just a colloquialism. The name of the sacrament itself is anointing of the sick. And I brought this just for show and tell. This is, this is my oil stock that I use for anointing of the sick. Okay, there's the one thing that I would like to emphasize above all else on anointing of the sick, okay? And that is, do not wait until the last minute to ask for anointing of the sick. I can't tell you how many times I have been told, people will say, well, Father, you know, when my husband sees you come in, it's going to scare him because he thinks, you know, that's the end of the line or... And I don't want my wife to see the priest because, you know, that means that the next person we're going to call is the funeral home. So um, it's not for the, it's, it's, it's associated with the danger of death, but it's never been for the last minute. There's another reason we don't want to wait to the last minute for anointing of the sick. Absolutely nobody is sitting next to their phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week with nothing to do but answer it immediately and go the moment you call. If I get a call right now, Father, come and quick, you know, my wife's dying. you got to give them last rites, right? When am I going to get that call? When class is over and after I'm done talking to the last person. That's just life. Um, uh, I could be at a conference. I could be someplace. I could be. Um, so never, ever wait until the last second. I will go over when to give anointing of the sick, but we'll just start, we'll start off by saying this. If... Uh, if you think that it's the absolute last gasping breath, uh, first of all, you're misunderstanding. Second of all, there's a good probability you're not going to get it at all. Okay, uh, So please uh, just take that one to heart. Somehow there's a frequency uh, on which many, inf- many Catholic ideas are broadcast. Um, and whatever that frequency is, I wish I could discover it because some really good messages I'd like to get out there and broadcast. But among the things that get broadcast on that frequency are wait till the last second until you ask for anointing of the sick. I'm sorry, last rites. Uh, Another thing that gets broadcast on that frequency is confirmation makes you an adult in the church. Another thing that gets broadcast on that frequency is don't ever miss Mass on Ash Wednesday, which is not a holy day, but everybody comes. Um, Lots of things get broadcast on that frequency. But anyway, so I'm just trying to counteract that. So people will say, um, where's that in the Bible? Where'd you get that in the Bible? When it comes to anointing of the sick, it's one of the clearest in the whole Bible as to where it comes from. 
two really clear references. One's from St. James' letter and the other's from the Gospel of Mark. Here's Jesus uh, telling his apostles to go out and anoint with oil many who were sick and heal them. And St. James asking, is there anyone sick among you? Let him call for the priests of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, his sins will be forgiven him. Okay. So very, very clear that, that reference. Now, why, why a sacrament for the sick? Jesus loved people who were sick. He just, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why. One of the signs of the Messiah was that he would heal illnesses. So there's a little bit of trivia for you here this evening. There's 35 miracles in the New Testament. 23 of them are healings. Jesus loved healing people. So, you know, it stands to reason that among the sacraments that he institutes is a sacrament just for sick people. And that's anointing of the sick. Another reason why, and this is really getting to the heart of what anointing of the sick does. When you're very, very sick, it is a very special time, a powerful time. You either get bitter or you get better. That is to say, spiritually speaking. And it depends on your disposition. You can turn inward on yourself and say, why has God done this to me? Very easily. Um, or you could dig down deep, find what's best within you, and press on in hope. The anointing of the sick is a sacrament to help you to do the latter. That's exactly what it is. Okay? Um, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are going on in the, in, in, in the sick. When, when I go give anointing of the sick to people, very often they can't, in any visible way, they can't participate. I just gave anointing of the sick to a man today, and he could just barely finish a sentence. It really drains you. I've never been that sick before. Not only that, but you, you've got drugs going through your veins. And and one of the things that happens, um, if any of you have ever been that ill, I've certainly been around people that sick, I've never been that sick, uh, is that your spirit kind of gives up. You just kind of give up. I was with a man uh, who had this terrible ailment. All of his saliva in his mouth was gone. It was dry like sandpaper. And this is how this guy had to live. Um, and your spirit just gives up. Anointing the sick is there to help you dig deep in your, in your spirit. Very frequently, people who are terminally ill or very, very sick, they give up. They, they, they'll frequently tell you that they're despairing or they've lost hope which is not true. They're just being sick, right? They're just doing what sick people do. When you're down like that and for a long time, and if you don't think you're going to pull out of it, it's very, very common for people to say they're despairing. God's there to help them with this sacrament. And here's another thing. Self-absorption. If someone hits your hand with a hammer, all of your thoughts are about your hand. Uh, it's, it's not virtuous, but then again, neither can anybody really fault you for it. It's just what people do when they're in pain. They Remember, I fell off my bike once and hit my knee against a bar on my handlebars and went toppling over, and my brother was there, and I was like 10 years old. My brother was there, and he, what's the matter? What's the matter? I couldn't stop screaming. All, all I could do was scream, ouch. That's all I could do. He's like, what's the matter with you? Tell me what's wrong. I was like, would you shut up and go away? I, don't, I, don't, I can't do anything except say how much this hurts. Self-absorption. All things on your mind is myself. You know what's interesting about this? Look at Jesus who's dying on the cross. Anybody heard of the seven last words? 
seven phrases that Jesus uses from the cross. Six out of seven of those phrases are about other people. And the only time he references himself is when he says, I thirst. And let's just skip a lot of commentary and say when he said he was thirsting, what he was thirsting for was that his people would love him as much as he loves them. So you could say seven out of seven times he speaks, he's talking about other people. We, we want to be like that, okay? We're not there by nature, but God's grace can lift us up. So this is the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. It's not about uh, anything other than strengthening you spiritually in this very difficult time, okay? Now, it's not for when you have the blues. It is always somehow connected to the danger of death. Somehow it's always connected to the danger of death. It could be due to illness. And a good rule of thumb here is that if you're going to get general anesthesia for anything, you can get anointing of the sick. If it's, if it's severe enough <clears throat> that you're going to undergo general surgery, something like that, just ask for anointing of the sick. Because the church is really lenient on this. We're not strict about this. If there's a chance that there's a danger of death, they'll give you anointing of the sick. Okay? Here's another one. Anybody who's so advanced in years that they could die from a complication can ask for anointing of the sick at any time, and it's up to you to decide how old that is. But here's a good way to look at it. Uh, you know how you got maybe your grandmom or your mom, depending on your age, and if she got pneumonia, she'd be down, and there's a chance things could get complicated, she might not pull out, just because she's that far up in years. Right? Or grandmom slips and falls, and what always happens, elderly lady falls, but they always break a hip, and very frequently they never, ever bounce back. Um, if, if you're so that advanced in, in, in years like that, you can ask for anointing of the sick. Okay? Um, but there's always some kind of general danger of death. Here's somebody who can't ask for anointing of the sick. Small children. It's really not for little children. Here's why. Remember all that stuff I told you about despair and digging deep? And If you're so young that you don't really even have your use of reason, um, the sacraments really, uh, it's really, that, that mental battle isn't going on, and it's, it's, really not, it's really not intended for small children, okay? If there's some kind of danger of death, something like that, you can always give it to somebody, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, if a, um, um, but as, as a generality, it's not as liberally given to young children, okay? Um, anointing of the sick is something that you can receive multiple times. If somebody gets sick uh, and they're going in for surgery, they can get anointing of the sick. If they take a turn for the worse, they can turn, get it again. I'll tell you what I usually do, what I usually tell the people. When they're going in for surgery, I give them anointing of the sick. If they're diagnosed as terminal, I give them anointing of the sick. Um, if they make a turn for the worse, like, for example, today I visited somebody and I said, he was sitting up talking to me, and I said to him and his spouse, when it gets to the point where he's down in bed and he's not going to get up again, give me a call. It's a marked turn for the worse, okay? And you can ask for, you can ask for anointing of the sick a second time or a third time. Okay, so what does anointing of the sick do? What does anointing of the sick do? Well, as I tried to tell you before, mostly it's spiritual. And it gives you a special grace to unite your sufferings to Christ. 
And how do you do that? Well, you just make a prayer in your mind. And you just say, Lord, I unite this and you unite this to you. It's just an act of the will. Um, for their good and for the good of the whole church. I want to tell you, uh, some of the most edifying moments I've ever had have been around people who are terminally ill. Because people who are terminally ill can make decades of progress in a very short time. Because they're finally forced to let go of everything. All these things that are happening in your life now, all these worries, um, you would see them all from a very different point of view if somebody told you you got six months left. And you would really begin to think in terms of eternity and what really matters. And These guys can make decades. And I, um, I'm very, very edified by that. Very, very edified by that. They, they do a tremendous amount of good for the whole church. Okay? So what else happens? They get a special grace to give them strength and peace and courage to endure their sufferings. Renewing their trust in God and strengthening them against temptations to discouragement, which, as I've already talked about, is a regular thing. Here's another thing. Um, confession is almost always impossible for people who are in this cir circumstance. To go to confession, you have to be pretty with it mentally. Um, and I've almost never found this to be the case, that somebody who is uh, coming into surgery, or they, they're almost never able to make a confession. If confession is impossible, there's forgiveness for them. Presuming contrition is there. There's no such thing as magic forgiveness. But, you know, if somebody's out of it, I just give them anointing of the sick. Nine times out of ten I go to the hospital, uh, I just give them anointing of the sick. I don't even ask them to go to confession because you can look at them and they just don't know what day of the week it is. They can never say, well, here, let me think about my sins, let me express my sorrow for them. They're not capable, all right? Presuming contrition is present, just like St. James said. Now, here's an amazing one. There can be a healing. I've seen it happen once. Once. I've seen it happen once. I'm sure it's happened more often. But I went to a woman's bedside in the hospital, and they were going to pull the plug on the ventilator that was helping her breathe. This was a Friday. Whole family was there. Everybody was crying. Parents were saying, go kiss grandmom goodbye. And I gave her annoying of the sick. Would you believe she's in church on Sunday morning? She got better. That just doesn't happen. Okay, if, if God wills it, there's a healing. I don't know when he wills it, but if he wills it, you know, I'm just, somebody once told me um, that there's, sometimes there's a healing, and I've seen it happen once. Um, now here's another strange one. This one's kind of mystical. Just as baptism began your spiritual life and confirmation strengthened your spiritual life, anointing completes your conformity to Christ and gives you a special strength to resist temptations before entering into the kingdom. Now, here's what that means. Uh, it's as though those who are, there are those who say that as you're checking out, the devil makes one last gasp to try to claim your soul. There are last temptations, or so I'm told. Anointing of the sick is like your spiritual armor against your last temptations. So it's there for you. Uh, I, this is what it looks like. Little show and tell for everybody here. This is the oil stock, and that says OI on it. OI stands for Olea Infirmorum. And if you've never taken Latin, that means oil of the sick. 
and I take the cap off and inside is cotton with the oil holding the cottons holding the oil in place and I use my magic thumb right here and I put the ring around my hand like that and I anoint them on the forehead and on the hands and I say through this holy anointing may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit and I make a sign of the cross on their forehead and then I on the hands may the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up amen that's the form and matter of anointing of the sick there are times when you can't get to their hands or their forehead any anointing anywhere that you can get to <clears throat> will work in a pinch I was in a code blue in Spotsylvania Hospital code blue is when they got the shock things out and you know it's last gasp they're trying to save their the guy's life um, father father get in here I managed to get his toe that's all I could get. Everybody else has got these fancy machines and trying to bring him back. So he didn't make it. But a man should get his toe. Does it count? It counts. Okay? But that's anointing of the sick. Okay? Now, let's talk about the far more interesting one. Uh, and that is confession, otherwise known as penance. Now, um, we've already talked about sin. We've already talked about grace. I've told you that sin is a misuse of your mind and of your freedom. I've told you that it damages your relationship with God. It damages your relationship with others. And the thing that's really hard for people to understand, it actually damages your relationship with yourself. There's not a sin in the world that you can commit um, that some level deep down inside you don't feel dirty, soiled, guilty. Um, And you know what the flip side of, this is psychology, you know the flip side of guilt is anger. I sincerely believe that much of the anger that you're seeing in the world around us is guilt. People who are doing things they know they're wrong, and maybe nobody ever told them, maybe they feel trapped, but uh, it does make you hate yourself, okay? Now, only God forgives sin, period. That was the shock in the Gospels when Jesus would say, as for you, my child, your sins are forgiven. People would say, who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, it would, uh, you know, if I, if I, if you borrowed a friend's car, and you wrecked a friend's car, and I stepped in and said, "That's okay, your friend forgives you," your friend would say, "It's my car, my car, my forgiveness." Right? Don't tell me what I forgive. Um, well, that's what, that's how they thought about Jesus when he stepped in and said, "Your sins are forgiven." Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, all forgiveness comes from Calvary, but how does it come to us? Well, the way that we know for certain is it comes from the promises. It comes from the sacraments. First of all, it comes from baptism. But penance. There's a 4th century uh, theologian, his name was Tertullian. And he said that penance is the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. The first plank was baptism. And you know, in the ancient church, you get guys who would wait until they were dying before they get baptized. Because... You know, they were afraid they were going to go sin again. <laughs> and then some of them would miss the boat. They wouldn't get their baptism. But that's not the way it was meant to be. Uh, so penance, confession. Uh, Jesus always called people to confess. Jesus always called people to repent. But here's the real operative question. And it comes up every time. Why do I have to confess my sins to a priest? Now let me tell you, the reason why people ask that is because it's hard to confess your sins to a priest. Do you know the priest has to go to confession too? When I want to go to confession, I've got to truck across town 
and kneel down and say my sins out loud just like anybody else. And it's hard. It's hard to do. It's a very humbling experience. I will jump the gun a little bit here in your notes and say, of all the sacraments that, you, that are out there, it's the hardest one to do, but it is the most rewarding one to do. After you're done with confession, you feel like a million bucks. I, I hate going. I love having gone. You, it's, of all the sacraments I've received, it's the one by far that you feel the most. Okay? But why do you have to confess your sins to a priest? Well, as long as the question is asked, let's answer the question. The very first thing Jesus did after his resurrection, we're talking on Easter Sunday night, was he established this sacrament. Easter Sunday night, all, remember, all the apostles had run away. Jesus was put on trial for his life, and his best friends, they all ran away. Jesus was crucified and killed at the hands of his enemies. All his best friends, they all ran away. And then they heard he rose from the dead. They were gathered together in a room, and he walked through the door, and he looked at them all for the first time. And for the, I bet you they all thought to themselves, oh crap, now I'm really going to get it. <laughs> and Jesus, in all human reason, he should have looked at his apostles and said, you bums, I'm starting over. <laughs> right? You all better do penance for the rest of your lives. I'm picking 12 new ones because you all are flunkies. He didn't say that. He breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you hold bound are held bound. And isn't this interesting? That he gave them the ability to forgive sins the very day they themselves were most guilty for their own sins. This is why angels don't hear confessions. Angels don't have any sins. Priests hear confessions. One of the reasons why is a priest knows what it means to commit a sin. The priest knows what it means to commit a sin. He breathed on him. It's the first time in the Bible since he breathed life into Adam and Eve. Okay? So you could say, well, how do you know that's what the scripture means? How do you know that when Jesus said, whose sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whose sins you hold bound, they're held. How do you know that means you're supposed to confess your sins out loud? Well, here's the answer. What have Christians believed from the beginning? That's the answer to every question of how do we know what the scriptures mean. Go back. What if, and this is why I gave you your very small print notes. Okay? What you got here are some ancient references dating back to the 70s AD. And when we talk about the 70s AD, you're talking about people who, heck, the apostles are still alive. And a lot of the people that are still living, it's only been 30 years or so since Jesus himself walked the earth. These people know the sound of his voice. They know the color of his eyes. They know the, like, the, the way he likes his fish cooked. They know his gait. They know, the, 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 everything. They know the way he parted his hair. And these people are saying this. And it goes all the way to the... That's how we know that's what the passage means. From the very beginning, forgiveness of sin after confession has been done by confessing out loud. Sometimes people say, well, then maybe how would you know the church didn't invent it? There's no protest. There's no record of protest. Now remember, we're talking about the ancient Christians. And we're talking about the first 300 years of the faith. These are guys who were thrown to the lions, to hungry lions covered with tar and pitch and set on fire just for fun. No record of protest. These are people among whom dissent from the faith was unheard of. When your life is on the line, you don't split hairs. You take it wholeheartedly or you... And we're heading back to those days. i got news for you. It's going to cost you to be Catholic. Nobody's going to do it halfway. If you're not going to do it halfway, you're going to sleep in on Sunday. Um, but what do we find? You know what you find in the ancient church? You find the practice, and it was harder then than it is now of people confessing their sins out loud 
publicly in the presence of the priest or the bishop. Okay, here's what they used to do. Um, it used to be you'd gather for Mass, and they didn't have buildings back then. You gathered in somebody's basement, or you gathered at the catacombs in, in secret and hiding. And before Mass began, there'd be a time in which you confess your sins. You know where I say, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Lord have mercy. That, the, re- the reason why I use those words, and we'll get to this when we talk about the Mass, is the use of that Greek dates back to the ancient church. They've been saying those same words since the, de- the days of the apostles. And they would confess their sins. And literally, they would confess out loud big sins. They wouldn't confess little ones. They'd confess big ones. Murder, adultery, and apostasy. Everybody knows what murder is. Everybody knows what adultery is. Who knows what apostasy is? Apostasy, was a, and back in the ancient church, was a public renunciation of your faith. And here's what would happen. The Roman soldier would come to your door. He'd knock on your door. He'd say, rumor has it that you're a Christian. Oh, I'm not a Christian. No, not me. Oh, no way. Oh, no way. Long live Emperor Vespucian, or whoever it might be. Um, long live Publius. <clears throat> okay, uh, thanks. I appreciate that. I believe you. Uh, tell me, would, would you do me a favor and just sign this little paper called a libellus? Would you sign this little paper just proving that you're not a Christian? Sure, I'll sign the paper. And the paper would say that you recognize, uh, you renounce Jesus Christ and that you, that you recognize the divinity of the emperor. If you signed the paper, you lived. If you didn't sign the paper, and if you didn't sign the paper, they'd take you away to be executed. And by the way, this is the validity of an oath. When you make an oath, you hold your soul in your hands like water. As Robert Bolt said in his play, A Man for All Seasons. If you open your fingers when you make that oath and don't mean what you say, you you best not look down and expect to find yourself again because you're gone. So, you know, people wouldn't do it. Now they gather for Mass on Sunday. And your husband just lost his life because he wouldn't sign the paper. But coward over there, his husband signed the paper. That's a big sin. They would confess that out loud. Okay? Out loud. Um, And what they would do, they would enter into what they would call the order of penitence. And you would wait for two years before you go to confession, before you go to communion. You confess your sin... You would ask for the prayers of the people that are going into the Mass. And after two years, after one year, whatever, you would be given forgiveness. Anybody ever heard of, it, heard of an indulgence? Yes. Okay, it's something that I sh- I, I'll get into maybe later, but the roots of, the in- of an indulgence are actually in the ancient church. It would be that you would be given an indulgence of a year. Now you don't have to wait two years, you only have to wait one year. You don't have to wait six months, you only have to wait one month. Okay, But that would be your penance. You confess your sin out loud, you do your penance, and then you get, your, and then you get your, uh, your, your forgiveness. Those elements of statement of sin out loud to a priest or a bishop with sorrow for what you've done, um, some kind of making satisfaction, that is some kind of penance, and the act of being forgiven, right? Receiving that, th- those parts have always been present in confession from the, from the earliest days. Um, the whole business of private confession that we do now, that was begun by the Irish. I'll tell you the history. Okay? Irish monks. Uh, monks then weren't the same as monks now. They would go into Germany. They'd go into uh, what's now Denmark. They'd go into what's now the hinterlands of France. And they would evangelize and teach the people. And they'd teach the people, and they'd teach the people all about the faith just like I'm teaching you now. 
And then they tell them you got to go to confession. And the people would go to confession. But they didn't have two years to wait for them because they had to move on to the next town. So you know what they did? They gave them forgiveness right there on the spot. And they said, go do your penance later. That's what they do. That's how confession works now. You go into the confessional. We'll talk about it, how we do it in just a second. You say what you did. The priest gives you a penance. But uh, you do your penance later. The forgiveness happens right on the spot. That started with the Irish. It doesn't matter really when you do your penance. It doesn't matter if you do it before. It doesn't matter if you do it afterwards. But those three elements have always been there. Okay? Um, why you confess your sins to a priest, people ask. Isn't it interesting? Nobody ever says that about baptism. Nobody ever says that about communion. Nobody ever says that about any sacrament, just confession. Right? Why do I have to go to a priest to get communion? Nobody ever says that. Why? Because it's hard, okay? I get it. It's hard. It's hard for me, too. I wish I could stand in the mirror and give myself forgiveness, but I can't do it. Um, it's hard. Uh, but the priest has the power to act in the name of Jesus Christ. When he says, I absolve you of your sins, it's like Christ borrows the use of my tongue. I don't say, Jesus forgives you of your sins, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I say, I. Now, Jesus is working through the priest. Um, but you could think of it as the priest saying I, acting in the person of Jesus. Or if you want to, you could think of it as Jesus speaking through the priest. Basically the same thing. I absolve you of your sins, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another reason why you confess to a priest, now consider this. There's no such thing, I want you to really meditate on this, there's no such thing as a sin that's just between you and God, ever. No matter what you do, if nothing else, it breaks you down as a person. It makes you less of who you're supposed to be for everybody who knows you. Every sin always hurts everybody else. If your priest was committed a, committed a crime, okay? If your priest committed a crime, there'd be two things he'd need to do. Number one, he'd need to get to go to confession. Number two, he'd need to apologize to his flock. He'd need to write a letter of apology. I'm sorry for what I did. Now, he could just go to confession, but would it be, I mean, honestly, would it be adequate? I don't think anybody in the parish would think it was adequate. They'd want contrition because they have been hurt. Let's pretend like a husband betrays a wife. He can go to confession. But doesn't the wife deserve it? Doesn't the wife deserve an act of contrition too? I'm sorry for what I've done. So part of the reason that you go to confession to a priest is you're acknowledging the fact that it really isn't just between you and God. It isn't. Um, as I've said to you before, if you tell a lie and you tell a lie and you tell a lie, you, have, you become what you've chosen to be, a liar. Um, and this breakdown of your character happens with every wrong thing you do. It's never just between you and God. That's one you kind of need to think about. It's just not real. Okay? Uh, and here's the thing. God is the one who has told us this is how sins are forgiven. He's the one who's offended. He's the one who tells us how sin... But here's the good news. It's not like God is like, I sure am mad at you, and just to make sure you know how mad I am at you, I'm going to rub your nose in it. You've got to go say that to a priest. Now, who's God and who's not? I showed you. That's not God. Okay. Consider this. When you've done something wrong, naturally, you want to say you're sorry. You want to tell somebody you're sorry. I never watched Oprah, but I was told that half of the Oprah Winfrey show was people saying they're sorry out loud. And Oprah can't give them absolution, but the priest can. Okay? You, you want to... I told you about the trip that I took with a psychiatrist? No? 
I have a limited, limited number of stories, and I do repeat them. Um, but I took a trip with a psychiatrist, and among the... We had this afternoon, we were walking along, and the psychiatrist said... Uh, I told the psychiatrist I was in medic, I was going to go to medical school, and, I, and he turned the tables on me, and he said, yeah, you know what, I wish I could have gone to seminary. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. Why do you wish you could go on to seminary? <clears throat> and he said, because I wish I could have learned about confession. Here's why. As a psychiatrist, let me tell you something. There's only two things people ever do when they've done something wrong. Number one, they let it out and they say out loud, I'm sorry, and they tell another person. Or number two, they beat themselves up for what they've done. The only two things people ever do. And so much of uh, what harms people deep down inside the depths of their soul is guilt that they've never let out. He says, you ca-, he wasn't Catholic. He said, you Catholics, with your confession, you got the healthiest thing in the whole world. I wish there was a Protestant confession. I wish there was a, a Jewish confession. I wish there was a Hindu confession. Everybody should have this. It's the healthiest thing in the whole world. You can tell somebody you're sorry for what you did. And then not only that, but you hear somebody say, it's okay, go in peace. Fulton Sheen, you ever heard of Fulton Sheen? Fulton Sheen was a bishop. And in the 50s, he had a television program that won an Emmy Award. Imagine that. A Catholic bishop on CBS who won an Emmy Award. That's how far we've fallen, okay, um, in many ways. Uh, but he gave an image, and he said, you know, like a tube of toothpaste? The toothpaste is meant to come out the front. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, it's natural it comes out the front. Well, guilt is meant to come out your mouth. You're supposed to say, I'm sorry. Now, if I take a tube of toothpaste and I seal the cap up tight and I squeeze, the toothpaste is going to come out, but it's going to be a big mess. And if I take your guilt inside of you and I cap up your contrition and you don't say anything, and all the pressures of life squeeze, it's going to come out. It's just going to be a big mess. I thought it was a very good image. It's like, it's like a tube of toothpaste, okay? This is the sacrament of penance. That's why God established it. That's why you have to go to confession to a priest. He established it. It's recognizing the fullness of what you've done, and it's actually a very healthy thing, okay? So how do you go to confession? It's very, very easy. Okay, first thing is you have to be sorry for what you did. How sorry do you have to be for what you did? Here's the good news. Would you believe that our church actually teaches that even the act of getting up and going to confession is enough sorrow for all of your sins to be forgiven? Nobody goes to confession and they're just playing a game. Nobody. However, I have had people come to me and they've said, Father, I got new. I'm not going to confession and I have no interest in going to confession. I'm just here to make my mother think I'm going to confession. <laughs> okay, God bless you. Doors be open next day if you ever want to come to confession. But nobody is just, you don't go if you're not sorry. The slightest bit of contrition is enough. The slightest bit of contrition. Now, there's, there's two kinds of contrition, perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. Perfect contrition is when you're sorry what you've done because you've hurt your friendship with God. Imperfect contrition is anything else. If I'm sorry for what I've done because I think I'll go to hell. If I'm sorry for what I've done because somebody told me once about hell. If I'm sorry for what I've done just because I feel like garbage and I want to start over. Any contrition at all that's imperfect contrition, it's enough to forgive all of your sins. So do not worry about getting yourself worked up enough. Okay? The only thing you can't, God can't work with is if you're not sorry. So what you begin by doing is examining your conscience. I'm going to hand out these at the end. Little examinations of conscience for everybody based on the Ten Commandments. Tell you why I'm not handing them out now. 
Because if I hand them out now, you won't listen to me. You'll sit and read them. Uh -huh. right? That happens every year, so you don't get them until I'm done. <laughs> All right? Um, you examine your conscience. Start with your biggest sins first. Think about it like any relationship. Imagine that, um, you know, I, uh, um, I don't know, um, spilled coffee on Ethan's shirt and then subsequently punched him in the face. <laughs> now, I'm in no position to win such a fight, but let's just pretend like I am. Uh, and I tell him, I'm really sorry for messing up your shirt, dude. We're not reconciled. I haven't told him about the most egregious thing that I've done. Okay? It's like that with God. Uh, I wish everybody could hear confessions. I wish everybody could hear confessions. The first thing you'd recognize is that your confession sounds pretty much like everybody else's. Okay? Really wildly big sins just aren't that common. I've heard everything, um, just about everything you can imagine, and I know you can imagine quite a bit. I've heard almost everything you can imagine, um, including things that make the headlines, uh, um, including things that would that things that happened in the White House. I've heard people, believe it or not, going to hearing confessions in this area. If the Washington Post only knew, right? Mm. Um, um, on one hand, I can count the number of things that are so big I've never heard them before. Most everything else, it's, either, it's a variation on a theme. And you want to know what? I can't remember. The priest can't remember. And I'll give you an image for what this is like. Suppose I asked you right now, go and back, without going and looking, tell me what's in your trash can at home. You, ah, I don't know, it's trash. Uh, it's paper, Kleenex, there's an old milk carton, uh, I don't know, newspaper, old letters, fundraising letters I haven't read it. There's trash. You don't know exactly what's in there because it's trash. And after a while it all looks the same and it also smells the same. Well, can, hearing confessions is just like that. I don't remember what you said. I don't even remember that you went. Because it's like trying to remember what's in your trash can. This priest, at least, can't remember. And I have a feeling it's like that for everybody else. Okay. Um, but, uh, um, but what do you do? You, you mentioned the biggest things first because they're the, because they're the biggest. You also want to mention uh, how many times you've done it because that matters. Father, I committed adultery. Okay, we can start over. We can make a brand new start. Let's, Father, I committed adultery once a week, every week for the past year. Okay, that's a big. That's that's not the same. Father, I stole some money. Okay, Father, I stole five thousand bucks from orphans. Right. Okay, <laughs> you, the details matter. You mention the biggest things first. Um, and I say it's mortal sin, when it's serious matter, sufficient reflection and full consent of the will. Most people, when they're talking about mortal sin, are only focused on serious matter. I slept with my girlfriend. Um, uh, serious matter. Basically anything sexual. Uh, I skipped mass on Sunday. Serious matter. Um, um, it also has to be sufficient reflection. You have to know what you're doing, um, and and you, and it has to be full consent of the will. And believe it or not, you can be entrenched in habit. You can be pressured by somebody else. Uh, you can be very very weak from years of sin and bad habit, and you just don't have all the strength that you have, and you hate your sin, and you're trying really hard. And there's not full consent of the will there. I think there's plenty of serious matter out there. I'm not sure there's plenty of mortal sin. I really don't. I think a lot of people don't know any better. I think a lot of people are pressured. I think a lot of people are very weak. But just for the record, there are three criteria for moral sin. It's a serious thing. You know about it, you think about it, and you fully choose to do it anyway. Anything less than that is venial. 
be sure you always confess mortal sin by name. You'd be amazed some of the circumlocutions, especially young people, can give to sins. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, uh, you know, some guy comes in and says, you know, I was with my girlfriend and we kind of got jizzy. <laughs> I have the slightest idea what you mean. Could you please tell me what that is? Uh, you know, so you call it by name. Call it by its name, all right? Very, very simple. And if you can remember, call it by its number. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what you do. You begin by saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You can go face to face if you want. You can go behind the screen if you want. It's up to you. <clears throat> if you don't know how to go to confession, all you have to do is walk in. Father, I don't know how to go to confession. The priest will lead you through it, okay? Um, but just for the record, you begin by saying, you make the sign of the cross. You say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And you tell him how long it's been. It's been a week. Okay, thanks for telling me that. I know basically what to expect now. It's been 50 years since my last confession. Oh, okay, now I know to expect the whole world. So somebody says to me, Father, I haven't been to confession since I made me first communion and I'm 83 years old. <laughs> And I forgot to say my meal prayers. And that's about all I've done. I realize he is just, that's, not a, that's not complete, right? That's not good. Um, so you give the priests kind of an idea. If you don't remember how long it's been, you tell them I don't remember how long it's been, but it's been years. That's fine. But some idea, okay? Um, you, you, you don't have to go into grand details, but don't be so vague that the priest doesn't know what the sin is. Um, most people do it just right. Most people come in and they say, you know, Father, I violated my marriage vows. I committed adultery. Okay, great. I know what that means. Um, you don't have to go into grand detail. Now, you'd be astonished. The, the, some of the, the detail that people go into, I have to stop them. And I have to say, whoa, Nellie. Now I've got a whole lot of ideas I wasn't thinking about before. Stop. It's enough just to tell me what you did. All right? Don't go into, don't go into too grand of detail. Um, another thing you don't want to do, please, uh, don't excuse yourself. It's the time to accuse yourself, not excuse. Here's an example of excusing yourself. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I was rude to my husband. But you ought to know my husband. Let me tell you what he's done. Don't. And sometimes people will tell you stories long stories, because they think you need the context to understand what they did. Well, Father, um, tell you what happened. I came home, and uh, my husband, first of all, he never puts his shoes away. Um, and secondly, he never does the dishes. And thirdly, he's, I come in, I'm tired, all he's got is demands, and, and, so I, and so I yelled at my husband. Just No, just say I yelled at my husband. Don't confess somebody else's sins. And as a good rule of thumb, don't ever mention anybody else's name, ever. Here's why. Inadvertently, you break the seal of confession. And we'll talk about the seal of confession in just a second, but here's the Bless me, Father, for I, I've sinned. I was mean to my brother Andrew. Andrew, my brother, he's next in line, Father. I sure hope he tells you all the stuff I'm telling you. Right? Just no, don't mention anybody else's name, okay? Don't mention anything anybody else did. Um, accuse yourself. Just tell them. It shouldn't take very long. And when you're done, you say, I'm sorry for all, all these sins. Um... If you forget something, don't worry about it. If you forget something, don't worry about it. The only thing you need to worry about is when you deliberately leave something out. Okay? Um, it, it's not, there's no forgiveness if you deliberately leave something out. If you're not going to say it all, you're not ready to go to confession. Okay? It's actually a sacrilege, an additional sin of sacrilege when you deliberately leave something out. Just go. Now, 
Um, you're going to get all kinds of priests. I cannot guarantee you that you're not going to find one who, doesn't, who rubs you the wrong way. In fact, I guarantee you, you will. All I can say is don't go back to that priest. Find one you like. I hear confessions the exact same way I wish every priest would hear confessions. And I'll tell you right now, this is the kind of priest I am in confession. I say almost nothing. You say your sins, I tell you your penance, that's it. That's because that's how I wish everybody did it. I'm already sorry for what I did. I already know it's wrong. I already know why it's wrong. I don't want you to tell me why it's wrong or try to make me feel even more sorry or to tell me that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. That's why I'm here. So, anyway, you'll find priests. You want a priest who talks? Go find a priest who talks. If you want a priest who says nothing, they're, they're, we're out there. Okay? Um, but hearing confessions is a very, very hard thing. Uh, a very, very hard thing. And, <clears throat> in fact, I can liken it to being stuck in traffic. <clears throat> That's what it feels like. It's very, very attention-intensive. And it's very, very attention-intensive. And you get tired. So it's possible the priest might say something that strikes you as being gruff. But have pity on the poor guy. It's very, very hard. Okay. Um, the priest might say something in counsel. In fact, they usually do. I'm, I believe I'm the exception, not the rule. Um, and then he'll give you a penance. Your penance is usually prayer. Why is your penance usually prayer? And it's almost always Our Fathers and Hail Marys. Here's why. Because you can't... Here's what penance should be. Penance should be the undoing of sin. For example, I stole five bucks. Guess what I give for your penance when you stole five bucks? Either it's give it back or give it to the poor box. But you're not going to profit off this. If you stole 500 bucks, your penance is find a charity and give that charity 500 bucks. You can't profit off this. That's your penance. <clears throat> um, you, you undo your sin, but what do you? What do you? How do you undo your sin when you've uh, defamed somebody um, behind their back in an office and gossip? You, I mean, you can't exactly take your words back. It's too late. They're already spoken. Well, God can repair what we can't repair. So that's why the penance is always, almost always, prayers. Why our fathers and hail marys? Because people know them. Everybody knows them. I could give you Hail Holy Queens or St. Michael prayers or chaplets of St. Nicholas, but then you don't know what to do. Um, and people in confession are remarkably shy. They won't say, Father, I don't know what a chaplet of St. Nicholas is. <laughs> they'll just say, okay. And then they'll come out and they say, he gave me a chaplet of St. Nicholas. I don't know what it is. Um, so it's almost always... So that's what you do. The priest will say a prayer of forgiveness that goes like this. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You say an act of contrition. It's in your pamphlet here. It's printed in almost every confessional. Okay? If you don't know an act of contrition, just tell the priest, I don't know the act of contrition. He'll give you one. There's a real sh briefy, briefy act of contrition goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's an act of contrition. Okay? It's a little prayer of saying you're sorry. That's it. And that's how you go to confession. But remember this. If you don't know how to go to confession, you can always walk in and say, I don't know how to go to confession. The priest will help you through. It's really easy. Okay? Uh, you're reconciled to God. You're reconciled... It's an anticipation of the last judgment. Your sins are forgiven. You're given new strength, given new grace, given new life. It's the undoing of sin. 
I'm telling you, you feel... St Before you go to confession, the line between right and wrong is kind of gray. After you go to confession, it's crystal clear. It really, really helps. Um, how often should you go? A good rule of thumb is once a month. Just a good rule of thumb. Let me give you a, a little image to try to help you understand why you want to go regularly. Um, imagine that you're riding in an RV with your spouse on a trip across the, across the great Rocky Mountain West. Just you and your sweetheart. Do you think you could go so much as 24 hours in the same vehicle with her without having one thing to say I'm sorry for by the end of the day? Probably couldn't go one single hour without having one thing to say I'm sorry for. Well, honestly, if you know yourself, you should know that there's lots that you can turn to God and say you're sorry for. Lots. You, you seem to grow in that awareness, okay? And you'll recognize that you, sometimes, sometimes people go once a week. Um, when, when people are, the more you know who you are and the more you know who God is, the more you realize, I really, I've got a lot to say I'm sorry for. A lot. Um, when I sh short sh shafted God and watched television instead of prayer, I basically genuflected to the television because I care more about that than I do about God. Um, when I denied my faith by, lacking at, by laughing at that sacrilegious joke rather than standing up and saying, you know what, guys, I don't think you're really getting the whole point here. Let me try to explain to you why that's really not very funny or something. You, you basically sold Jesus down the river. Um, there's lots you can go to confession to, a confession for. Uh, and it gives, you this new, it gives you this new strength. The seal of confession, the priest can never tell what you said. I can speak in vague generalities. This is what kids say of the funniest thing I ever heard. I can speak in vague generalities, but in no way, shape, or form can I tell you in ever, any way reveal what anybody said. I can't even get in the ballpark of revealing what anybody said. Here's an example of getting in the ballpark of revealing what somebody said. Let's pretend like you have a parish grade school, and the parish grade school has a penance service for the grade school. And in the grade school, all the teachers are also going to confession. And you're sitting around the rectory at dinner that night, and you're thinking, boy, can you pass the, 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 the green beans? There sure is a lot of adultery going on in the school these days, isn't there? We didn't say who did what, but you, you broke the seal of confession. Nobody, no priest would ever do that, but that would be a general way of breaking it. You can't ever give anybody even a ballpark way of knowing. Here's the, the saint of the seal of confession, St. John Nepomucene, vicar general of the Archdiocese of Prague in the 14th century. He heard the queen's confession. The king wanted to know what she said because he believed she was being unfaithful to him. He wouldn't say. Well, he ended up killing him. He strapped him to a chair and threw him in the river until he drowned. He killed him because he wouldn't. He threatened him first, but he, he wouldn't, wouldn't say. Uh, the people knew he was a saint. They ended up um, scouring the bottom of the river looking for the deceased. They hauled him all up and as you might imagine, he was decayed, except his tongue. His tongue was perfectly intact. It was a little miracle, because he kept the seal of confession. Um, if he can't go to confession, make a good act of contrition and go as soon as you're able. Okay? Plenty of times you can't go. You have the right to go to anyone you wish to go to. Remember that. If your only choice is to go to confession to somebody you've been to before and you can't stand going to that guy, you can make an act of contrition and wait until you've got a better offer. Okay? You can do that. Um, um, there's something called general absolution. 
like if the Titanic is going down and you can't hear everybody's confession. The priest can just give absolution. If I'm on an airplane and you're on the airplane with me and the plane goes down, you're in luck. I can give, can, I can give absolution to everybody on the plane. If they're saying somewhere in their hearts, I'm sorry for my sins, there's a priest somewhere who gave them all ab- sacramental absolution. And it works. However, if you survive, it's a stopgap measure. You're still supposed to go to confession the regular way. I received general absolution once in my life. I was in the missions in Mexico. And the priest in the missions, on my last day before I got on the plane, gave me general absolution because he had this phobia of planes. He thought that planes always crashed. And therefore, I was going to my certain doom. Well, if the plane crashed, I was set. But as soon as the plane landed safely, I had to go to confession for it. But there is such a thing as general absolution. Okay? Um, five little points here of why the one who confesses is better off than the one who privately just goes to God in prayer. Number one, you're following Christ's teaching. Number two, it is a good practice of humility. Number three, there's real grace. Grace is God's life in your soul. There's actual grace that's given because this is a sacrament. Now, you can get forgiveness for, for, for sins without going to confession. For mortal sins, you're supposed to go to confession. For serious sins, you're supposed to go to confession. But if you forgot to say your grace before meals, you don't have to line up and go to confession. Um, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been three days since my last confession, and I forgot to say my grace before meals once. Well, that guy, you know, jeez, that's demoralizing. <laughs> Just, you don't have to do that. However, um, uh, oh, and by the way, a good rule of thumb for confessing venial sins, don't confess every last venial sin you've ever committed. Just don't. Confess the ones you're struggling with. Confess the ones that are patterns and habits. Uh, I, there are some people, they come to confession, and it's been a week since the last, and they're in there for 10 minutes. And they tell absolutely everything they've ever done. It's, it's just not a good use of anybody's time. Okay? It's just not good. Um, but anyway, if you do go to confession, you always receive a real grace. Lastly, it's a sacrament. There's a promise. You're assured that your sins are forgiven. You're assured of it. There's no subjective feeling. There's no doubt. Um, and every once in a while you receive sound advice. I have gotten good advice in confession before. It's just unusual. Most of the time they say things that don't help me. So five little reasons why um, uh, going to confession is better than, than not. Okay?